Let's get into it. I'm excited. We have a very long-awaited episode to bring to the podcast world. Might be a couple episodes. Oh, it's going to be a couple. I know it's going to be a couple. You got too much information to boil down into one episode. (laughs) Uh, This is spurred by some very exciting news. Uh, Two-part news. Two-part news. Yeah. Drum roll, please. No. Uh, Clay? Like a pair of snare drums going at it. Uh, We all know, I think we've discussed, Clay Belding was fortunate enough to have a Nevada bull elk tag last year. One year after his nephew, Chance, had a Nevada bull tag. And uh, we had a heck of a hunt. There was several of us that attended, helped, packed, scouted. And I just found out uh, this morning that an article is going to be published about said hunt in the North American Elk magazine. Did I get that correct? You got that correct. Our Woo. boy Skip Knowles. Nice. You know, we did that article about the coyotes a couple months ago. Yeah, for, I don't even know uh, if anybody knows in the podcast in the Predator, we did in that. In the Predator Nation magazine, he, they, they all take uh, run that whole North American whitetail uh North American elk, wildfowl, they own all those publications. And so they asked us to do that article a couple months ago that we were in Predator Nation magazine. And then he liked our writing and style and pictures so much that he asked us to write this. And so I went to work on it and I didn't actually tell the whole story in this article. That's I didn't get to the point of the final. Don't, don't. Yeah, don't, I'm not uh, going <laughs> to. We'll get to that in part don't. two. But uh, it also, the second part of it, not only is this article, is we are now going to be having a streaming show called The Provider, from field to table kind of attitude. All our kills and then recipes that we've done over the years and showing what you can do with the meat you harvest, basically, called The Provider. And it's going to be on Mo TV. And They don't even know that we filmed no. your elk hunt. Maybe they saw it. Maybe, Maybe they saw it. Maybe they... So that hunt will be on Mo TV as well. So we got the podcast talking about it now. We got the article coming out, which I'm not exactly sure when that issue is going to be in, but it will be this fall issue. So I'm guessing August, September, so people can get read it and get excited for this next season and will be on Mo TV. So wow. got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Living uh, memories, publicated memories, television memories. It's legit. Uh, I saw across the table a key element to life. And uh, I just wanted to uh, give a big thank you to the Gator guys. All their coolers out there on that elk hunt, when you talk about cooking up and, you know, doing recipes with your wild game, it is vitally important <laughs> that you cool that meat down uh, and keep it cool. Especially, you know, uh, I, I don't want to give out too many details, but we stayed an extra day and a half on Clay's elk hunt after the harvest, yep. uh, which some people do that anyway. But, you know, we, we like to get the uh, meat back and hung, especially, you know, it was it was cold, but it wasn't crazy cold up there and uh 
So the Gator coolers definitely came in handy. Yeah, Mitch and, and Brian down there in Louisiana, they're they're awesome. They're I just two, got 150 two, cups for the charity thing I'm doing this weekend right. from them. Well, awesome, two, awesome cups. The two boys, the two brothers, they're oil fill workers, and they said, "Hell, there's there's 10, 20 companies in this space, but they just they knew they could just win over lifestyle, and they have. I mean." They'll tell you right to your face. If you compare theirs to, to all the other brands, they'll be like, we're basically made all in the same factory. We have all the same criteria. We have the same inches of foam inside. And what they do better is people attach to them because of lifestyle. And they, they're realists, you know. They're just down to earth. A couple brothers down there and oil field workers. and Still and, oil field workers? Yeah, they still do it. And, and uh, That's cool. Yeah, coolers on the side. So, um, no, they're awesome. I uh, ever since day one that we've been with them, they've been they've been awesome. And I mean, the, the product speaks for themselves. And got our meat back, and we've been eating on it for the last six months now. So, and I would say the fact that we have, we know that we have excellent coolers allows you to, you know, in the old days at the Coleman Cooler, so you <laughs> had to get back home, yeah. right? You know, and get that meat out of that water because it was no longer ice. So the fact that you have you know you have a great product. You have the option when you uh, get it done a little earlier than you might be expecting. You have the advantage of taking, you know, a few extra days and, yep. and knowing that your meat's still going to be uh, in good shape. Yeah, you used to get home from a trip and pour the water on your lawn. Now you get home, you got to throw ice all over your lawn. Yep. So you got to kind of spread it out. You don't want to freeze your grass. <laughs> but the, the ice lasts forever now. I think uh, – I don't even where, know where, do you, where do you start this I thing? I mean, I mean we've, we've already talked talk. about putting in for tags yeah. and all that stuff, but I, I, I know because I think I was one of the probably the very few people that was still awake. But Clay and I were texting. You got to you got to flash back to a year ago, two in the morning, yeah, one thirty in the morning, two in the morning when the when the accounts finally got hit, credit cards credit got card dinged or whatever they were. Hit. They said they were going to be posted by seven or eight o'clock, but website traffic and everybody check in it i think it even crashed maybe and it, it did could, yeah people couldn't get in and so finally at 1 30 or something my card finally got hit and i was like no way I, I didn't know if it was for a sheep or for yeah I, th- I was gonna say i think i could look at the text and it said i got a 125 dollar charge so I either got a uh, sheep or an elk yep. <laughs> and we thought sheep because what yeah because he's got he 17, 17 or 18 points, points. He had, he had two two or three three points yeah three, three points. points for elk so i was like there's no way he pulled an elk tag and sure enough. <laughs> yeah i think we discussed earlier that you had drawn a tag when 2008 seven seven something? seven that the year after my dad died yeah 2007. so 2007 you had a tag so you waited your 10 years, you didn't get the grandfather treatment, and yep. then three more years after that, which is pretty unheard of, and to draw an Ely tag at that. So I guess I'll – we've got to kind of start there is that Ely has got to be the best. the best unit in the state. I mean, maybe someone will argue with you about uh, Montello or something, but they're all kind of in the same – the eastern, yeah. central, northern part of Nevada um, – you know, we're bordering some of those other great states that have elk in them, and you get transitioning elk, traveling elk, and plus we have a healthy elk herd as it is. Uh, where was your first tag? Uh, 231, which is down in Peoch. Which is still that eastern. Eastern, but further south. Yeah, you, further you, south. You go down to that cutoff at uh, Major's Place, and yeah. then how, and head, head south way. of that on, what, 93? 
I think, 93 down to Pioch, and then... Mm-hmm. So close, right, but... Right, yeah. on, the, right yeah. on the border yeah. with yep. Utah. Yep. Yeah. It was, so it was basically that unit. We were... We never really flirted with... We flirted with the border of Utah, or... What are we? What were we playing with? Uh, the 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 national park and stuff. The no, we, we were right there on the border. When we went down to the to What's the, town? the gas station, ba- uh, Baker. 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 We went to Baker. Yeah, so that's right on the border. But we didn't. But we didn't hunt necessarily. Nope. Where when you had your tag in Poch, right. you're actually don't they right. give you a little grace period <laughs> or grace uh, nope. distance? You get like a mile into well, the crazy thing Utah about that, or something, right? Our dad passed away in 06. Chad, who doesn't really do a ton of big game hunting. He drew a tag that very, no, I'm sorry. Clay drew a tag the very first year, 07 in the same unit that the one bull elk that our dad got was, he had two different tags, but the one that he harvested was in 231. So the very first year, Clay, second year, 2008, Chad draws the same unit, bull elk tag. 2009, I drew bull elk archery tag in the same unit. Back to back to so back years. Like, yeah, he was, he was watching out for us. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, that that unit, that that uh that mountain range, it's the white white mountains, I believe. Yeah. There's you know, essentially you just gotta know where you're at and they have little uh US Forest Service little they're not even signs, they're just those markers. Little placards you know, every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. The, the, just the you know, like your off road just plastic deals and that's that's the border. So you kinda figure out, okay, that ridge right there is Utah, so you're going to hunt off that ridge this direction. So. Isn't there some deal where they give you like a little bit of a leeway into Utah? Or there's some, mm-hmm. if there's you a, shoot one in Nevada and it runs over to Utah, yeah, there's you can gone, that, Same there's deal a, with retrieving your animal, but you better be hunting in Nevada. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying you get to hunt in Utah, but if you were to kill one and it ran into Utah, oh, you should sure. go get it. And just like private property. Cause of they know the things right are going to happen when you're yeah, playing you, that close to the border, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Um, <laughs> if we want to get into that, there, <laughs> there's some cool stuff that happened in on those hunts. One being it, on Clint's hunt, and we'll get into it real quick because we could talk forever. But Clint, we were there for quite a, way, a long time, two weeks, whatever, two weeks, you know, and off and on, and we kept seeing this guy. And, and oh, I know you're <laughs> old Utah. Oh, Utah. But we, we talked to him, and he was just you, – you ever meet those guys that just have story after story that are too good to be true? And that we, sometimes you call them toppers. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, I shot I, – I scored 20 points in my you know high school game. Oh, shit, I scored 30, you know. Or I killed a 200-inch deer. Uh, Uncle Bill. Uh, 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 <laughs> I killed a 240-inch deer, whatever it is. They always sure, got sure. a topper story, and the stories are just like – everyone is a wow story, right? And so we just started calling him like Utah. He would come. We were where we were camping. You had a little bit of cell service, and he'd come up in the yeah. middle of the day. We'd be back from our morning hunt, and he'd come up, and we'd see this guy every day. And eventually, he made his way down into camp, and you know, just BS story after BS story. And we called him Utah because he was actually hunting in Utah. His he had a he had a I think an any legal weapon type hunt, and he was an archery guy, so he was hunting. Yeah. You know, I'm hunting out of a tree, out of a stand. tree stand over like, there, and we're like. No, you're, you're hunting not. out of a tree stand in a pinion pine, and oh, I've killed eighty-two elk with my bow, and every one of these, and I've killed this, and I've done this, and I, you know, blah blah blah. And we're just like, oh, geez, come on, bud, you know, never mean to him, but it's just by one himself, of, yeah. by, himself by himself, one of those guys, hunter. and a, just one of those guys, you know, had a, had a had this really cool setup with his UTV yeah. hat. I mean, there were certain signs that the guy definitely was an outdoorsman and a hunter and stuff, but yeah, we after our first part of the of the hunt. 
came back. I came back to town. Clay had come back just a little earlier, whatever it was, and and uh, <laughs> for work. And I came back to and there, I came home from work one night, and I had been telling myself we were talking like, you know, we called him Utah, but it's like we we could say it, but his name was Danny Moore. Danny Moore. Danny Moore. You know, so we stuck Danny. Moore. I was like, you know, I'm going to look this guy up because he was talking all these stories, and I he's got to be some. I, you know, I go into Google and I put in you know Danny Moore Hunter Elk Hunter something like that, and literally the first article the guy is in. The book of could Danny Moore be the best elk hunter? No, way. Yes. Live. he's like, like in chapter. Like, he's like chapter you, four. You have chapters. You name your name your all time best, and not just hunters, archery hunters, yeah, archery, archery hunters. You know, so Fred Bear, and I mean, there's all the and there's like ten different features. I remember getting, and the he's text one clips. of the guys. He's like seventh on the list, and we're going. Oh my we God. were talking to a legend, and we quit. <laughs> literally. I remember I get the link, and I looked at, and he didn't preface it to anything, and I just clicked on the link, and I was like, "Are you yep. <laughs> kidding he me?" Was the man is Danny. Could Danny Moore be the best archery hunter or whatever? Because he now, if you look him up, he every bit of his stories were true. He's killed like a elk a year in like Arizona, New Mexico. Nevada, Utah, all these states, like every year with a bow. All with his bow and all, uh, you know, bugling Bu- Yeah, in the in. rut, bugling them in. Yep. Just, and he was like, yeah. <laughs> okay, was he was basically, he was in a tree stand. <laughs> and really all he was doing, because he's such a seasoned guy, he wasn't lo- really looking to kill something. He just wanted to find out what was there. So mm-hmm. he got on he got on a, a you know very popular walk, and he wasn't really hunting. He was basically scouting during the hunting season. He yeah. was so patient because he knew, you know, I'll, I'll kill something on the last two or three days. I'll spend the season finding the big one, you know. We never did hear on that hunt uh, what he what was he able did, to do yeah. on that particular year, but pretty good chance he What year was it? Nice. 2009. Oh, seven. No, this was your tag. No, this was my tag. It was your tag, 2009. my tag, 2009. Yeah, so anyway, we could have sat there and picked his brain and learned – it was so funny the very before we knew who he was i remember we were up on top and we were like playing washers or doing something and he come rolling by and by this time we knew you know he was the only other one hunting there so we're like oh here it comes well we had a new guy in camp our our buddy yeah our buddy came and you know so he had met him and we kind of said ah here comes old utah oh god be ready the bullshit (laughs) and we could have picked his brain and learned and and just kind of goes to show you never underestimate just pick everybody's (laughs) brain and learn from him right oh god it was freaking funny but that had nothing to do with my fast forward (laughs) 11 years 11 years I get the tag. Obviously, everyone, you don't need to hear about what you do is getting ready and start trying to lose some weight and get in shape. And what am I going to do here? And, you know, trying to who had an archery tag, who you meet, you have friends that maybe pull an archery tag. You learn from them what kind of, okay, let me know if you see any big bulls or do this and that. Or talk to some friends that are hunted in the past. And well, thank God, I was just going to say, thank God we were there the year before. But even that, when you draw these premier units, I'm sure people were giving you advice, right? I mean, oh, unsolicited, 100. oh, you drew that Ely tag? I was there 15 years ago. We saw a 425-inch bull every day. He rubbed his right nuts the on the same the rocks. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, you oh, get that, 100%. Dude. 100%. And even and he said, Uncle Mel, but Uncle Mel, call Joey. Call Bobby. He's in there. He's called, called, okay, okay, Uncle Mel. <laughs> but, you know, but that's how it is, man. It is how it is. Everybody wants to help because that, that help. tag just doesn't come around. And everybody oh. wants to. Well, the everybody, tough part of it. 
the tough part of that tag is if you really look at it, it's such a huge, huge area. You know, you got four different units, and I mean, part of one area has got the Great Basin National Park, but I mean, it it could just be a state within itself for just that tag. It's just it's mm-hmm. so hard to kind of figure out where you're going to hunt. You know which particular mountain range, how many miles do you want to put on every day trying to find an animal? And, you know, that's a, it, that, there's some positive to that and some negative to that. Cause you know, you're going to get spread out, but at the same time, how do you cover that much ground? So it's, it's an awesome tag. It's just, well, and you know, we found on chances hunt, we found a really great place to camp, which had elk around it, but you know, we ended up hunting what 30, 40 minutes away from where we were camped, which, Yep. some people would say that's no big deal and it, and it is no big deal but at the same time you know that's a that's a that's a getting up a half hour earlier than you thought you were getting up and that's getting back to camp a half hour later than you you know so basically we found out on chances hunt you're obviously up at oh dark 30 you don't get back till dark you know so the camping spot wasn't even you know did we i don't even know if we needed it so to speak but we, you spend so much time out there, you know, basically if you're going to hunt them, you're going to hunt them all day long, right? It, at that time of year. Yep. Well, and, or if you're, you know, stalking on them and playing with them and stuff like that. But Clay's tag, shoot, we were able to camp right, not right there, but I mean, what, 15-minute drive, 20-minute drive 15, maybe? Yeah, and it saved us big time, you know, because oh, yeah. with what ended up eventually happening on the hunt, if we were to be where we were it would have been i mean I, I guess i should rephrase that the area we were going to was that close <laughs> getting to the animal was much much further than that and, yeah yeah, yeah for sure more time i'm just time. talking about even where we camped with chance versus where we got oh, to yeah, god um thank god i mean we can t- talk about it so my my Clint cousin christy and her husband mike and their son louie and she's pregnant and their dog <laughs> all came to help with Bubba, yeah. our buddy, and, and Tom, and then us three. We were all there, and thank God Mike, my cousin's husband, had a friend who, whose family had some property out there that during the summer, they go out there and hang out and camp and do whatever, but they have a couple little cabins on there that um, they were gracious enough to obviously – not obviously, no one who's listening, but they were gracious enough to let us use one. And yeah, I mean, it, it was right there, made everything made so, so easy. easy. We didn't have to come back and worry about, you know, dressing in the cold, it's lighting cold, fire. Oh, it's way, cold. Clay, yeah. Clay's tag was late. So, I mean, all that goes away. It had, it had a heater in it, it had a fireplace. I'm not a fireplace, a, a, everything was gas. It had a stove in it where we could cook and make the coffee and warm up dinner and. We didn't have to worry about everything, and it was big enough. All of us slept in it, so it made it. We were not really roughing it on the camping end, where no. we usually do. You had yeah. to you had to worry basically about if you would get too hot at night, and <laughs> have to turn the heater. Back. Right, and he was right. farting and he was snoring. Yeah, it was a. It was. It, it is though. A, a, it was a really cool little A frame cabin. I mean, I don't. Want, I don't want people to think we were in some you know, timber, uh, cut Lake Tahoe yeah, cabin. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was an old school, like, uh, you know, it, it I, had gas, gas, uh, lights, yeah. no TV, no From radio, a, no, yeah, no regular camping. No. Yeah. Regular camping standpoint. 
it was know, it was a few steps above that wall camp. But, but I mean, not, yeah, compared to compared to yeah, outdoor camping that time of year, cold wise, that was yeah, it saved us. I mean, it makes me think back actually to to Clay's elk tag. Ugh. We slept in a ground tent, and I mean that was miserable cold. I just for some reason that just popped in my mind. I remember how miserable those nights were trying to sleep. It was just frozen cold that yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, compared to something like that, it was like ch- chances on you know we had the we had that wall tent, but still cold. The, 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 the wood doesn't last yeah. all night long yeah. for certain, and and most and the, of the, the time desert, you're too tired up. The high desert when it's fifty, even sixty-five at night, when that sun goes down in those deep canyons. Oh, it's cold. It's dude. it's Quick. real cold. It's even colder because you're so hot during the day, hiking around, hunting, and then you get back and then you just yeah. start freezing. So what I what I you know think back to is. Uh, how how you're just you're you're from dark to dark you know and, and the sun goes down so fast like you know you're back to at your hunt you know at six o'clock that's what you, i was gonna say you earlier, have a couple you beers know? you, you yeah, eat dinner and then it's like what do we do now it's eight o'clock or we it's hard to go to bed at eight o'clock yeah. even if you are getting up at four three and see that's the thing whatever about in the that, morning that extra drive you were saying you know on the front end of it obviously that much earlier but yeah, it's it's dark so early that so what if you've got an hour drive back to camp because you're back to camp and it's five thirty you know it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> see what else are you gonna do so yeah you know I but but at the same time you're up so early I mean gosh I gotta imagine those nights we were what we were in bed at nine I'm sure I nobody really oh, paid yeah. attention but we were in bed at nine o'clock for sure oh I, and I never so I never laid in bed wishing I was falling asleep you know you <laughs> you're out. racked out pretty quick the I, uh, the cool thing about there was every, I mean, obviously the, the, how everything was right there, right? You didn't have to drive two hours to get to your spot. We knew that's kind of where the area we wanted to be in because of what we knew with chances hunt. But at the same time, once I got there, cause you guys were a couple days late from us getting there scouting and stuff, right? Right. Yeah, you had a and couple days. There was no elk where Chances was. Not one. I went there three, four days in a row, whatever it was. And in Chances Hunt, what did we see? 120, 130 elk a day? Yeah. Not one. Not one elk just randomly walking by. <laughs> not one. So I was like, what in the hell? And you're not talking one spot. You're talking several oh, spots. Se- yeah. I mean, everywhere we went for Chances Hunt, not one elk, not one. Yeah. So I was like, did we screw up here? Is there, are they somewhere else two weeks? I mean, cause his was the early season. And even though it's only two weeks, a lot changes. That, in two a weeks. lot changes. I mean, I, if it's whatever it is, they know something and they move and they were out of that area. So it was back to basically square one. And the good thing about having that many people with us, we were able to split up into three groups. So you and Clint went all around. Me and Tom and Bubba went all around, and Christy and Mike and Louie all went around. So, and then what? Even the first day or day and a half, right? We didn't see an elk the first day, or maybe you saw one. You guys, you guys, we didn't seen see some any of those elk. busted up bulls down on that flat around those ranches. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, that's and, and there was a big group up in the park. Yeah, that but we there's nothing hunt. you can do about that. You can't right. hunt the park. And then later, later that afternoon, we saw Splitty. Oh yeah, first, yeah, yeah. First bull that we found, and 
you know, kind of a cool bull, a young bull. It was going to be an actual and we didn't stud. See him. But you guys saw him. We yeah, we saw him. him. Yeah. We got some video of him and stuff. And it was kind of like, other than those busted bulls down the flat, we're like, well, <laughs> me and Alex had to show up to actually start seeing some bulls, you know? <laughs> and Splitty was, man, if he was, if he, if he was a couple sticks, of years older, yeah. he was, he was if he get sticks it. around, no one kills him, which he might because he's right there where any 75 year old guy with an elk tag. It's just going to shoot him off the side of the road. I'd love to hear if Trevor gets that bull. You'll know because he had a very unique frame. You know, hopefully another two years from now, you hear about that bull getting killed. And I bet you he's a monster. With big split daggers. Um, But again, going back to splitting up, we didn't see anything for the first two days of the hunt. And then you guys and Mike and Chrissy didn't see anything. And you guys eventually, you saw that splitty again. Yep. And then went into the we area. We went all the way up into that mountain and saw deer. Yeah, so I didn't see one elk that entire day. And so the reason we, we you guys went up there is because our friend Joel Blakesley killed a nice big old six point up in that canyon. Yeah, yeah. And he said there was a, actually a bigger bull in there, but everything that was that was still clean. And this is late season, so you're you're working on broke a lot of broken bulls. Yeah. So you're trying to find a clean, you know, whatever it is, bull not broken and. There wasn't any elk in there except right. Nothing. They all moved out from Whatever the two was weeks. There moved, yeah. yeah, they were gone. So, and they likely, you know, that that area, the the pros and cons of it, I guess, is you know a lot of them probably do go up on the park, right? They probably just go yeah. up on the park because that's not that far from the park on the south end of it. So, well, you, I'd imagine a lot of the stuff we saw the year before with Chance, they basically just move out of there yeah. that area and go up onto the park and get ready for the winter, essentially. From what I've heard, and I, I'm no expert, but They'll they'll hang up in the pine nuts, you know, eating the pine nuts. Um, if they have a good, you know, a crop yeah, or yeah. whatever of pine nuts, and also if they don't freeze real hard, chances tag, it was pretty warm. We were still eating picking pine nuts <laughs> off the off. Clint and I went scouting, and we got a whole pickup truck full of pine nuts that were legit. But then we went back up in, you know, late October, whenever that tag was, and we, Clay and I were eating them off the trees as we Sitting were walking around <laughs> still. So obviously the pine nuts didn't get um, Frozen. that hard freeze that ruins them. Now you fast forward another year, Clay's hunt, they did get a hard freeze and they got snow and the pine nuts were all gone. We didn't eat one pine nut that Zero. whole trip. Nope. Zero. So they, they didn't get held up in the spots that they probably normally get held up in. Still don't know where they went. I mean, obviously, we found – I don't mean to uh, ruin the story, but uh, Clay gets one in this one, too. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we ultimately found them, but not in the pine nuts, right? No. I mean, they, they, they ended up being – I don't even know. So you. So we don't do fast forward a little bit. Eventually, what was it, on the third day? I think of the third, hunt, fourth third day, actual yeah. day of the hunt, but I was there for four days prior to that. Anyway, so I was very frustrated not seeing an elk besides those broken ones down in the flat where could have hunted, but there wasn't anything worthwhile going after because they were all broke. But where you guys actually found him, the ones that or the you know the group that I ended up killing one out of, I don't even know the hell how you guys came upon that point. You've never been there before, and you, you when you s- told me where it was and. Tried to send because you were at the top of ten. You know, you were at nine thousand feet, basically, maybe eighty five hundred. And I, I walked up to ten thousand. You had a little bit of service to send me your pin, mm-hmm. and I had a hard time f- trying to find you, even with a pin, following the roads. 
I mean, there were so many oh roads and God. left turns and bad roads and ups. And I mean, could, I don't even know how the hell you ended up where you ended up, but it was the perfect spot to see every bit of that country. I'll tell you how. <laughs> I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> pull, pull the truck over and, you know. So you didn't know. No. Be, because you you, you would have actually. No, it, but it, to put it in perspective, we scouted that with my Ford Excursion. Yeah. <laughs> Lifted and it had no excursion. business being in that country that we oh were in. Oh, my God. But that's part of what it was. We were we were scouting. We were learning some new country. And when you got up, when, you know, the, what Alex just referred to, why not walk up to that point up there? You know? Well, and sure enough, when we got up on that point, oh, my God, you could look into this basin. And I, 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 I how many acres, thousands, oh, hundreds insane. of thousands of acres could you see in from every one direction. vantage point? Yeah. But at the same time, we sat there. We got there not too long after daybreak, and we sat there for two to three hours, I would oh, yeah. say, before we saw elk. I mean, it still wasn't easy, and, and the elk were, other than the actual peak of the mountain, um, they were up as high as you possibly could be in, in where there was actually food. That peak of that mountain basically rock faces and stuff, so they were up high. Yeah. And there was 25, 30 faces you could look at from that vantage point, you know, 360 degrees. You could, you could glass a face or a bowl or a meadow or whatever from that, from that point. I don't know how long it was. It took obviously several hours by the time I got to you from when I got the pin. So 11 to one o'clock, I don't even know when it was, maybe one o'clock by the time I got to you. And I don't know. <laughs> why I walked up there, but I'm glad I did after going, that's where it is. And I'm like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? Uh, My, my heart kind of like sank because I was like, I really don't want to do that. I'm sure all of us were thinking, unless there's another way in where we can maybe come from a higher point, we were thinking, you know, maybe we look at this and give it, give it this afternoon and then go look somewhere else. There was no, I don't go kill that bull. There was no way to get, you couldn't do anything else. You could drive a little bit further, which I did ended up doing with the, with the six seater. I ended up driving a little bit, but then you got into wilderness. You you cannot go any further from where I was and you had to walk miles. Had we known that? Cause we didn't know that. Yeah, Yeah. We just spotted bulls across the way and, you Which know, was ended up like five miles away. Yeah, they, it wasn't they're like, definitely <laughs> worth looking at, you know, type of thing. We had no idea it was wilderness area, and that, you know, because yeah, it'd be a different story if you could take that UTV right up the hill and yeah. go up behind them and come back over the top. But yeah, you get you get no uh, no play over there. Dude. When I got over there and saw that wilderness sign, I was just like, even worse now. No way, <laughs> no way. Splitty started looking pretty good. It did that look night, didn't real, real good. Oh my God. I don't, cause I'm not in the best. I got in pretty good shape for that hunt. I mean, I, I was doing pretty good, but w- when you get to that, the bottom of that mountain and look up and you're probably at the bottom of that Valley, you're probably, I don't know, 7,000 feet, maybe 7,500 and looking up to the top of that going, I got to get there to even maybe have a chance. By the time we got up there, it, it was like four miles in, three miles in, three or four, I can't remember, three or four miles in, but up 3,500 feet. We were at, we well, n- not that day. That day we actually walked up to about 9,200 because we didn't get, by the time we got up there, we had 
radios and you guys said they walked over the top and we never seen them. By yeah. the time we got there, we never seen them. But it was good in the aspect of learning the country, mm-hmm. knowing where we had to get if we were ever going to get there again or try to kill them, what we could do and knowing how thick it was, what else was it? Because by the, you guys couldn't even see some of the stuff that we could see once we were there. Oh, yeah. Totally different country. Totally. It didn't even look all that steep from oh, five man. miles away. It, it, you know, I mean, you knew it was steep, but it didn't look fast forward to packing that thing out. That was some steep country. Yeah. Even I, coming down, it was I steep. I think that's you know, generally a good lesson to learn, I would say, big game hunting in general, but definitely elk hunting is because they tend to be in you know, fairly rugged country, but a lot of trees. And again, going back the, the decade before, um, you know, having a spotter helps to a certain degree, but the lay of the land from three miles away is, is completely different. I remember, I remember helping clay in on a, on a non-typical bull on his rifle hunt. And, uh, they got to a point I had trouble finding them in my spotting scope that, you know, the hunters and, um, you know, from my vantage point, they were right on top of this group of five or six bulls with this big seven by eight non-typical. And I'm thinking any moment I'm going to hear a shot. And pretty soon I see him running out of there and he heard them and never saw him. So there's, there's generally, you know, a lesson to be learned as far as you've got to get into the country, find out where the trails are, find out where those hidden ravines and, and, uh, and, and drainages and those kinds of things are there because it's 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 just nowhere near what it looks like from three miles away. You guys were higher when you spotted them. You were at eighty five hundred or something feet, nine thousand feet, mm-hmm. and look basically looking down at a lot of the country that we were in. Uh, at to start from yeah. where we started walking, you were looking down, so yeah. you could see into the trees. You could see the angle of those rocks. Right. You could see everything. When you get over there and now walking up, you're underneath everything. Nothing looks the same. The it actually doesn't even look anything like what Nothing you saw. Because like I was where you were, mm-hmm. I ended up watching. I had to go walk to you, and okay, there he is, and that's where he was, and I didn't see him ever. Said just start walking because by the time we knew it was going to take a long time to get up there. I mean, it was already one in the clock, one in the afternoon, and to get up there before dark, it, we were only going to have an hour or two to to hunt basically once we got up there. But when we started, in my mind, I was like, "Oh, that I think that's what I saw up there," and it wasn't. You know, I was supposed to be on the left hand side of this white spined rock, and it. It wasn't a white spine rock when I got there. Right. It sure looked like a dinosaur, you know, spine or whatever we called it from the top. But, man, everything was so different. And you can, down in those trees, from where you look, like I said, you could see into the trees. But when you're over there, you're underneath the trees and looking, you can't see anything. I mean, you cannot see 50 yards when you're in those trees. It's crazy. It, it was weird to think about, again, you know, we didn't go over there until we were packing it out. Yeah. Even just having a pack on your back, how tight some of those trees are. You, when you look at it from miles away, For they sure. look like you know they look like they're all you know just spread apart, and you could just walk through there and see everything. Oh, yeah. No foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That that too. <laughs> so, and it, it makes me think real quick too about you know, kind of some of your preparation, not only getting your body in shape and getting used to those higher elevations. Uh, you know, you're shooting. You know, so yeah. you got a rifle, a rifle tag, and 
um, what I've considered a long shot on a big game animal for myself all through my childhood and young adulthood, you know, 400 yards, you know, you, yeah. you can get, if you can get 600 yards away from him, you could get 400 yards yeah. away from him. If you can get 400, you can get 300 and then there's your doable shot. Really being on these elk hunts more than any other hunt I've experienced, you better be prepared because you you hear people, you know, get your gun sighted in, make, be prepared to make an 800-yard shot. And I'm thinking, I don't want to take an 800-yard shot. <laughs> but if you want to kill a bull in the state of Nevada, mm-hmm. a, a big bull, and really even just a mediocre, medium-sized bull, you better be prepared to make a 600, 700-yard shot yep. because yep. you get any closer than that, they disappear. disappear. Well, if you, if you can even, even see them in the first place. You know, I think back to – chances hunt when we walk through that real thick stuff to to try and get a better look and, and like you said with that big non-typical you can hear them crushing through the trees and stuff they're no close chance. i mean they're close they're no chance of killing them but you have no chance to you you would never have a chance to look at one's horns and then kill it either you know what i mean like i can remember on chad's hunt we were coming down on some some bulls and you know a pretty good group of elk and and uh I smelled them. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. felt kind of like an animal myself, but I'm like, man, you could smell the elk. You couldn't see them. You couldn't hear them or anything, but you could smell them. And you're like, they're in here. You know, that was the weirdest thing about them. when they get all together. It's almost like a cattle ranch, you know, yeah, you're yeah. like smelling them does nothing. That does not help you at all as far as hunting them. But I do distinctly remember on this one stock we put on and it's when Chad actually killed one of his bulls. Um, but yeah, I smelled them in this little Canyon, and we had to go about two, three more ridges, and that's where they actually had moved into. So kind of a weird, you know, I don't remember ever having that kind of a feeling on any type of hunt where you actually smell an animal before you hear or see them. I remember the, the first time I ever went elk hunting, you know, when I was like 17 or 18, getting into those trees and actually being nervous about, you know, being shot by an axe. You know, they're so thick. There's other hunters around. Yep. You know, you you when you look from across the way, it seems like they're so wide open, and but then you get in there and you're like, no one could see me in here. Number one, I hope no one takes a pot shot at something around <laughs> me, or even the guy I'm hunting with. You know, if, if if he goes right and I go left to try and, you know, he tries to shoot through this thick stand of trees, you know, and then also thinking I'm gonna get trampled by an elk. Like <laughs> one of the weirdest things is those big bulls with those big horns. They go through stuff that a human can barely get through. You're weaving your way through those streets and they run through those at like 40 miles an hour, dude. Lay their heads back. Tuck their heads back and just run. I'm thinking, I'm going to get stepped on by an elk (laughs) right now. You know, they're going to come busting through one of these trails and I can't even get out of the way. And another thing with what Clint's saying, why you have to be able to shoot so far is because if you get to a point on a, on a ridge and you have a clearing to maybe on a rock, maybe there's a little little break in the trees where not where you can see the where the elk come out into the clearing, where you actually have a shot. Because if you're ten feet lower, you're gonna be behind those trees. You're ten feet higher, you're gonna be behind those trees. Whatever it is, you have to find the exact perfect spot and then hope that the elk steps out. Because hope it goes that way. Yeah, yeah, that way and be able to get a shot off because if you think you're going to get closer, you might never come to another clearing. You might be able to see the elk through the trees, but you yourself can't lay down and get a shot off or do right. anything because it's so thick. So everything has to come in that sense, kind of get lucky um, where everything comes together, being able to get into the spot where you can even get a shot off 
at 800 yards <laughs> across the canyon. It's kind, so, of a, yeah. kind of a combination of, uh, you know, like a lot of hunting luck and experience. Um, I think back to how Christy tells the story of the big bull that she killed with our cousin Thomas, who's one the of the best, best hunters hunt, ever. The best hunter that any of us really know. Yeah. Um, Better than Danny personally. Moore. Yes, he's legit. (laughs) But yeah, um, as the story goes, they never saw her bull, never laid eyes on the bull. They had heard him. This is, this is, uh, you know, it was, it was rutting season. So they were bugling and Thomas could tell which ones were the satellite bulls and which one was the herd bull. And they hunted this bull, I think for four or five days and never saw him, knew he was in there. And with his, you know, his experience really, his knowledge and his experience and his intuition, he got on a ridge just like these guys were just talking about so that there was a clear vantage point and he had Christy set up and literally said, okay, look at this tree in your binoculars, look at this clearing, look at this tree. That clearing right there is where you're going to be able to kill him and that's where you're going to kill him. <laughs> Not only, you know, hopefully he walks in there, but that's where he's going to go and that's where you're going to set up. So he has her set up, never laid eyes on the bull, Listen to all the sounds that were going on. She killed that bull right in that opening. That's, I mean, I wasn't there, but that, I don't, I believe that story. Yeah. It's like, that, that's, that's just years of experience and some kind of like sixth sense that when it comes to, comes to hunting. Yeah. Because you, like you're saying, if you get off of that ridge that you're able to shoot on thinking you want to get closer to 700 yards or 600 yards, that bull's going to be gone. He might never show himself again where you could have. You know, got a shot at 800 By the yards. way, that's so a 380-inch bull that Christy killed, too. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, he knew what he was talking uh, about. So, yes, the preseason work that you have to put in to get ready for, not only getting ready uh, with your with yourself being in shape, you have to be in shape with that gun <laughs> and having the right equipment. You can't just go out there with your dad's old 30 six, you know, and with a Simmons yeah. <laughs> scope and hope to shoot. So, oh, he's... Hold three feet over his back. <laughs> you know, it's just not only is it Race not good, it's unethical to the animal if you were to do that. So with the equipment today that you are, if you, if you can afford it, get it. Because if you do pull a tag out here, you're going to need the good equipment. Oh, yeah. And so we were, I mean, shooting that, the new Benelli Lupo 300 Winchester mag with the 200 grain federal with that trophy bond not trophy bond it was their new accu no ascent there it was the new terminal ascent, ascent. Bullet from terminal, terminal scent thank mm-hmm. you terminal scent bullet from from federal 200 grain and then topped with the 5 to 25 vortex so um awesome a chip shot it really was because i i practiced out just like chance did chance we got him shooting out to a thousand yards and it was like nothing with that equipment. It was crazy. Jared had all the, had all the, you know, you plug in the information with your bullet, put it into all the stuff and shoots your numbers out and you dial that scope and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, I never, excuse me, I've never considered myself a long range shooter, long range hunter, because like what Clint was talking about earlier, I always thought I could get within a hundred yards, 200 yards and make that chip shot because I considered myself a good hunter. And I, I was never bagging on anybody, but I, in, in my mind, I was like, that's not really hunting. That's more shooting. When you're shooting that 900 yards, 1,000 yards, that's more shooting than hunting. But I've come to find out that not really. 
I mean, it, that's the only hunting you are going to be able to do in certain areas and certain spots. Yeah. So you have to be able to have that equipment um, dialed in. And with Chance shooting him out to 100 yards, and I mean, he had ended up having a chip shot. He only shot his 178 yards. I still, I shot mine at 437. But again, I practiced out knowing what I learned from Chance that how he never shot long distance either. But the day we went out, he was shooting a thousand yards, hitting everything with the equipment. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. It was it was crazy. So I knew if he could do it, I could do it. And he had that bull at five hundred, and you didn't have you didn't yeah. have him shoot. And then then you had to hunt him five more days. Yeah. And and even Clint will tell you he was starting to regret a little bit, maybe not letting him take that five hundred yard shot because you're hoping you can get close. Yeah. You know, you want to get close. Not knowing that Chance was really capable. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. But then this he is the first day we can get closer. Shoot. We'll yeah, first him, closer. But plus, then, plus there was an element of, you know, other ethics elk. of other elk yeah. being around. So that was a tough one. It was then, a good call. Then, then that next year, Chance shoots his antelope at, what was that? 400. Four, about, what, about what your bull was. 430. They were real yeah. close. Yeah, some real close. And On he's an like. Animal of, an animal of that's size. a third of the size. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe I should have <laughs> let him shoot that elk, <laughs> knowing <laughs> how good of shot Chance is. Um, but yeah, being in shape and having the right equipment, if you're going to put in for a tag, knowing it might, you know, might be a long shot. You got to have to invest in the right equipment to be ethical and maybe even get a shot off in the first place. Talk, yeah. talk real quick. I was, when you say the right equipment and stuff, I think it'd be worth sharing. Um, when you scope wise and your, and your reticle and that kind of stuff and real quick, cause I'm reading a book. I'm reading a book right now, an autobiography on a Marine sniper. I've never really known a dope sheet, right? That's what he's Remember talking we were, about. We were joking a few few episodes ago about a dope sheet. You know what a, what that stands for? Yeah, I never really knew knew what dope stood for. <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's an acronym or it something. It is. It's an acronym. I thought it was yeah, exactly. I thought it was just you know a dope sheet. It yeah. actually stands for something. Oh, I read it, it and I went all this time and didn't know what it Drop was. Drop of it's a data on previous engagement. Oh, <laughs> data on previous engagement. So. I, my previous engagement is my hundred yards or my 300 yards, yeah. whatever you get your thing zeroed into. Dropped. And yeah, yeah. That's what a dope sheet is. I never, I never knew it was an I acronym. I never knew that either. That's so yeah, Clay, share, share the knowledge that you've learned from, from our buddy Jared and stuff. Just, you know, give us kind of a brief breakdown on when you say I got the right equipment yep. and you know, what do I sight my gun into and, and what do you use in the field there? So we were using, uh, like I said, the Vortex Optics, and they have long-range scopes. They have a, a ton of line, obviously, but some unbelievable scopes where once you know your weight of your bullet, the, the velocity of your bullet, um, you can actually plug that in to the ballistics calculator and get all your drops, get all your holdovers, get... Um, Everything that you need, windage, you put in information in the Kestrel, which is a wind calculation um, machine or little tool, where if you're out there, you can calculate the wind and be able to hold over on your wind, dial in your windage, and with the ballistics calculator that you're going to learn from shooting in the preseason, that's what you're going to take to the field. So... Like I said, when you put in your bullet weight, and which was 200 grains, and then you have a machine, 
out of the factory, they actually tell you feet per second on the box. But factory loaded ammo, no matter how good it is, might be off by one grain, might be off by three ounce, whatever it is. They might be over or under the exact amount that's on the box, right? If you're hand loading your ammunition, you can get exact every round, every cartridge, right? But factory ammo can be off a grain or two, right? So you have a machine to calculate your speed as well. And you shoot that enough times and you get your average speed with, but with federal, it's, I mean, we were off, they were not off at all. When I was practicing, they were dead nuts from what was printed on the box. And so I was damn pretty good. So you can take that reading, plug it into the ballistics calculator, boom. And then you go in and you actually get to do your turret. Now these new turrets, right? You can, you can do it in clicks, MOA clicks or, or what's the other, uh, MOA and God, I'm, I'm, I think you got no blank and blank and what the other term is. Anyway, uh, you get to just basically dial in your turret. So where if you're, if you sight your gun in, which I did, I sighted it in at 200 yards. So that means dead nuts at 200 yards, no holdover, and your turret is at zero. Okay. <clears throat> now, when you go to, depending on what you want your dope chart to look like, um, with most, I don't know, I'm not going to even talk about most ammo. With my ammo that I did, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it up right now. Um, you can do it every 50 yards, every 100 yards, whatever you want to see fit. And when you go from 200 yards to 300 yards, your turret clicks. What you're doing is actually changing the reticle, moving the reticle within the scope, right? When you dial that turret, it's moving the reticle up or down on depending on what the yardage is, okay? So if you at 200 and if you go out to 250 and want to set a new a, a deal on your dope chart where it probably won't even be a dial. It might be a quarter click, right? So one click, and that's going to change your reticle very minuscule where you don't really need to do that. At 200 yards and you want to do a heart shot, hit the bullseye, you're going to hit it right bullseye at zero turns. And then at one click, you might hit the top side of the bullseye at 250. At 300, you might be a little bit more, and then a little bit more, right? So at the the shorter distances, you don't need to do your dope chart every 25, 50 yards, right? Yeah, I don't think anybody does. No. I think they're 100-yard 100 100 exactly. increments or what. But what I started at. doing it at those 50 yardages once I got above 600. So I started doing my turrets. Six, six fifty, seven, seven fifty, eight hundred, eight fifty, nine hundred. Every fifty yards instead of hundred. Because the bullet drop is exactly. much more significant. Much more significant as you get further point. out. Yeah. So I don't at at two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred. You can. It's four clicks or five clicks, right? Or six clicks or eight, seven clicks. To where now it's on you when you're holding that reticle at, on your target. That one click is only going to change it maybe a quarter inch at that distance or a half inch at that distance. And if you're a half inch off at 600 yards, you're still shooting that 
heart. You're or hitting that, a vital. You're, yeah. you're, you're hitting a vital. You're good. So the bullet drop at seven, eight thousand yards is way more. So you need the the turrets to turn to exact. You don't want to have to guess. Is it eight fifty or nine fifty? Because the difference between eight fifty on the turret and nine fifty on the turret might be five or six or eight clicks, depending yeah. on your bullet weight, right? So when I when I did that, I like I said, I did every fifty yards above six fifty, and um, so at a hundred, I was at, no, I, well here it is. I thought I did it at two hundred, but it was only at a hundred. So I was zeroed in at at zero or dialed in at zero turret at a hundred yards. So meaning. No turns. I'm dead nuts at 100 yards. <clears throat> With my information, when we plugged it into the ballistics calculator and did all that stuff, at 200, I was a half MOA. So that was two clicks. Okay? 300 was two and a quarter clicks. 400 was four, uh, four and a half. These are MOA, sorry, not clicks. It was a half MOA. 300 was two and a quarter MOA. Four and a half MOAs. 500, seven and a quarter MOA. 609 and three-quarter MOA. So, so now, depending on your scope, which yours had four clicks per MOA. So when you say two and a quarter, you're going a full MOA, another full MOA. Now you've got four clicks yes. in between the next one. So Nine you're, clicks. for two and a quarter, you're doing one more click, right? Nine clicks. Yeah, yeah. Ten click. Ten click. Two and a quarter is Whatever. ten clicks. No, no nine it's clicks. nine. Nine Eight, clicks. Nine, nine clicks. clicks. Right. But so like, this is what kind of threw me off. I'm going to get the number wrong, mm -hmm. but chance was 20. Was it 26 on his antelope? His antelope. Was it, it, Let me see. I want to say it was 26. We're talking totally different bullets and everything else like that. Yeah. But I remember sitting there going 26 clicks, like, or, you know, whatever that number was. You were, yeah, you thought how I was you way hear off. that and feel that, but it's not, it's the, you know, you, you, you know, the MOAs, you've got four clicks within one. Yeah. So you can go, you know, if it's 10 and a quarter or whatever. You can just you can run the dial around to ten, and then you want to feel the clicks when you get to exactly. that kind of fine tuning thing. Exactly. Yeah. And so, how many MOAs was your elk shot? How many did you end up having to use? It was four thirty-seven. Okay. So, like I said, at that distance, I did not do the fifty yarders. Sure. But I knew the four hundred was four and a half, and I did five hundred was seven and a quarter. So at four thirty-seven, I just put it in my head real quick at four. 450, which would have been five and a half clicks. Five, MOA. So, sorry, five and a half MOA. So, so I, you do five MOA and then two clicks to exactly, get to the halfway point. Exactly. And then, so what I was thinking of this whole time is, it, for those of you that aren't playing with these turrets, you no longer need to put the crosshairs on the top of his back. Yes. You, you zoom in, like the scope you used is a Viper, I believe that had like 25 uh, zoom, right? No, it was it was, it was eight, the t clear to fifty. Oh, so so yeah, yeah. So you zoom that thing in, you know, to whatever thirty, and you've got the turret clicked up to the perfect yardage. Now you just put the crosshairs right on his heart, right on his heart, and it's clear. Yeah. So I was shooting the Viper PST Gen two, and it's twenty five to fifty. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the no. You're, it's think. 25 zoom, it's, 50 sorry, millimeter. It's a 50 millimeter objective. Yeah, it's 5 to 25 yeah. zoom. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 5 to 25. 50, is, yeah. 50, you'd be looking at his hair. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I got yeah, it's It's 5 to 25 with a 50 millimeter, millimeter objective. objective. Exactly. Sorry. Do you guys know what that does for you? 
the light. Lets in more light. light. Makes it a brighter picture. Um, so, so yes, I was dialed in. I can't remember what I dialed it into. Zoom wise, zoom wise, I was, I was, you know, I put it on because you'll come to find out when we talk. Another elk stepped out first, which I thought was going to be him, and I'd never seen these elk before. I'd never seen them except on a picture that you guys sent me. But you knew one was broken, and I knew one was broken. And this first one that stepped out, he was broken. I was like, oh god, you know, and I, my heart started racing. Got on him. I got everything dialed in. Bubba was giving me the yardage, and. It looked good. What I don't even remember what I zoomed into. It, it looked good what I zoomed in, so I just left it, right? So, but I knew it was going to be right there, um, M- the MOAs, and practicing at 4.37, at it was like uh, blindfold. You know, close my eyes, I could do this, because I was shooting out to 1,000 like it was nothing. Yeah. And now, now for, when you, it's just like shooting a bow, right? When you shoot out a bow, when you're shooting, practicing a bow, you shoot out to a hundred yards. I do all the time because knowing when you shoot at 40, it's, it's, chip not, it's a chip shot. Yeah. It's so easy. You can steady on it and everything. I mean, it's a principle. So I would, ne- I don't think I would ever shoot an animal at a hundred yards with a bow. I never thought I'd shoot an animal at 800 yards, with, but now I know the, uh, the equipment can handle it. I mean, the, the new equipment is amazing and you need to do that because you want to be the most ethical hunter, right? You don't want to do that hold over, oh, six inches over back, eight inches over back, hold well, back the Back in the day, that's, back, all, they, that's, that's all, all you, you did. Do. Yeah, 100%. Um, but yeah, now, now but they got new technology. If you can you afford it, do it, because it's going to make your life a lot easier knowing that you can put the bullet exactly where you need to put it at that yardage and not wound it and go spend the next five days looking for it and all, <laughs> all that Blow shit. Blow its legs off. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, I don't know. Does that answer your question as far as, uh, I don't know if I explained it perfect, but yeah, it's, it's awesome to be able to put that program, those ballistics, range it, boom, the yardage, dial it in and you know, you're dialed in. I mean, it's just, it's game changing. It really is game changing. What I gleaned from that story too, was kind of towards the end where you just trust your guides, right? Us us too. I never seen this bull before. We told him it was a good bull. Yeah, you see, if you see six on the right side <laughs> that are not what you know, six Clean. full points on the right side, it's him. Yep. Yeah. Right. That was. That was I would have liked to seen that broken one up, not broken too. He was a bigger he bull. Was a he bull was a bigger too. bull. Bigger bull, but busted up. Not when as, not when as he good first stepped out, and I got him in the scopes, my heart was like, "That's a big ass bull! Oh my god, I can't believe I'm going to." I think we all and, knew that, right? I mean, then, we knew he was bigger, but uh, so he was so busted. Let me tell you a crazy thing that I heard the other day. He broke. I. There's guys that shoot the broken bulls and then just have the tax yeah. service fixed. Sure, yeah. yeah, make them bigger than they actually were. Had a couple two inches on that. The sucker, but even right? if you don't, even if you just, what if you just said, you know, I'm going to kill that bull and yeah, I know he's broken. I'm going to have his point if, put. If back that on was him. the case, yeah. I would have killed the one out in the in the flat. Yeah, he the one out in the flat was probably the. I, he I think, was so thick and big. Yeah, and I think one, you know, one busted point, maybe part of. But you know, when you're talking like this bull, we're Every talking point. about he had, I think, two total, two or two or three points out of his out of his twelve. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what what if just all they're all there in the right places, but they're all just busted? I, I mean, I don't. I mean, this guy said it to me like. Well, I would kill a 400-inch bull that was all broken up. I just have the tax numbers, put it back together. Yeah. Well, he the goes, f- they do it now where you can't even tell. I'm like, well, how, do you, how do you know he's a 400-inch bull? But I guess if you see, you know, if you see a 
55 plus length main beam and a 40 inch inside that's spread. That's what I mean. It's like Clay saw that giant like out there. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Say he had one dagger that was still intact and it was, you know, 30 inches. Now you go, we'll just match his other one. I wouldn't. Me personally, I wouldn't either. I but I'm just saying that, yeah. you know, people do that. <laughs> one tip or one, you know, half yeah, you of break, a point or something. Or, you know, people have shot their horns and, you know, then you got to get it. Well, even on mine, or, even on mine, he was not broken but he he had a little break on which i didn't notice on one chip, of his yeah, yeah, yeah a little yeah. chip which chips, chips at that point that's fine you're never gonna that gives him character yeah yeah <laughs> but it, when you did say i thought you were going somewhere else when you said trust your guide because i like you said i've never seen him but i was i was going off fact and i i didn't even think about it at the time no one here a lot of people not listening right now don't know our buddy bubba henderson Bubba Henderson, I love him to death, but sometimes you wonder how he got out of preschool. Sometimes. He's a smart kid. He runs his own business. Love him. But every now and again, he'll he'll just he has a blonde th- he'll throw something out there and go, how in the hell did you make it in life, Bubba? It's like a, he's like a surfer. You know, he, he wakeboarded and he's just got that kind of, <laughs> yay, bro. Shaka. Boom, kinda, shaka. Boom, shaka, mesquite. But, so now, see where I'm going with this. I gave him the most important job. The yardage? The yardage. I didn't even think about it. What if you like read it wrong or pushed the button wrong or hit the wrong tree and gave me a 700? Hopefully you had enough sense of like, you know, you know he's 437. And if he said, you know, 25, you'd be like, what? Guy didn't just close 400 yards on us, did he? Tom, put the camera down and please tell me what that says. Yeah, you got Tom and Bubba over there. Yeah. So, oh, God, I didn't even think about that. But thank God he gave me the right yardage. But... Clay but, killed a bull with a oh. with a wakeboarder and a and a skier and a skier yeah. and his team. Yeah, right tell there, a, huh? tell a track skier, tell a mark <laughs> skier, whatever they call that. Let's let's reverse this. We got 15 minutes left in this podcast in this story. I don't know where I'm going to get to. Maybe right before the kill. I'm going to get right before the kill, and we'll go into part two, end it for today. But let's backtrack on when I first get up there and. I got to the top and you guys said he walked over the Wait a minute. Oh. You first got up there the first time you walked yeah, up yeah, there yeah, yeah. the second time. No, the first day. Okay, I was gonna the, say no, yeah, no, 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 for sure the first day. Uh, don't give it up too early because no. you had to make that hike twice. You no, that's exactly that. where I was going. Uh, exactly where time. I was going. The first day I got up there and and got to a point where I thought I was going to be able to see some elk. And then I get the uh they walked over the top. And I had no, I wasn't going to go after him. I had no idea what was over there. Couldn't I, even w- see over yeah, there. Yeah, couldn't even see over there. I don't know, were they going to be right over? And I was going to push them further. But when I got up there, my heart kind of sank because in my mind, I had two, two, two thought processes. One, these are the only elk I've seen. But they're at 10,000 feet. And I just walked the, the hardest hike I've ever walked on a hunt. I don't know if I can do it again. I literally in my mind told myself that night when I got back down. So real quick, didn't kill him, didn't see him, had to walk out of there in the dark. And um, it was a reconnaissance. It was, yeah, basically. But when I got back to the, to the, met up with everybody and that night having dinner, laying there, I told myself, I I mean, maybe even the next morning I did. He handed me that bow and let me kill that antelope (laughs) on the last podcast. I told Everybody at camp that night that I was not going back up there. Yeah. I told it, I couldn't do it. My body, I don't didn't think I could physically do that 
hike again because it was the hardest of my life in any hunt. I out of shape, in shape, whatever it is. I it just was I was, I was mentally defeated because I never seen an elk. I still didn't see an elk. Even yeah. though you guys seen them, I still didn't see an elk. It's been like six days. I hadn't even seen some elk, except a couple, I guess, down in the, like all the broken ones down in the flat. But I imagine the before thing the that, season. The thing that drove you was he was a shooter, right? Like in was, the back of your mind, it like was the well, only thing. he's a shooter, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push through. And one of the, th- one of, really coming back to Bubba, on the way up, my low back started cramping on the first day. My low back started cramping, and I actually had to lay down. Not because I was tired, which I was, but more to the fact I had to lay on my stomach and get up on my hands and knees or on my elbows and stretch my back out because just it's so steep and you have your backpack, your pack on and you're, you kind of have to lean forward to with for not falling back and, and crawling under trees and, and doing all your moves. You're, you know, no matter how good a shape you're in, you're not. Your, your ankles aren't the, in shape, you know, your, your calves are doing different things. All the muscles groups are doing different things that you don't do normally on a treadmill or anything. You're ducking and diving under trees. You're crawling to get to a spot. You're sneaking, you're down on, you know, everything mm-hmm. in your body is doing different things than normally that you would try to Plus get in the shape. elevation and the lack of oxygen. Elevation, everything. So in my mind, on the way up, I would, I would have to lay down and stretch out and do, st- you know, and Bubba would, would make fun of me because Bubba's in, unbelievable shape. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's insane. Shape. Smaller person too. So, you know, so he's making fun of me. He's giving me crap. And in the back of my mind at the end of that, I, I was like, I think I just want to do this to say, screw you, Bubba. Right. Yeah. I, I'm going to do it to prove to you, not only to myself that I can do it. If I don't kill him, it is what it is, but I was going to make it to the point beat, where you could beat my mind and, and get to that point to where, these were the only elk that we saw. He was a good one. And I was going to put myself in a position to hopefully kill him. But the, like Clint said, the recognizance, if I was to get in the position and the elk were still there on the first day, still would have never killed him. Never would have killed him knowing how the ground, the, the how it laid out to, and the spot that where we had to get to, to be able to kill him. Yeah, because you only got halfway to the point where you needed there was to be the first no day. No chance of and killing where them. Where we sent him, yeah, yeah. we thought, yeah, you'll have a, you'll have a yeah, shot. Yeah, you at said, oh yeah, we got five hundred. Not even close. Well, what, I, what it was it? Another it mile was well in. Over, yeah, well over twelve hundred yards, and it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was no chance for me to even shoot if I if they were in the spot the first day. So knowing that I had to, once we got up there, and if I was going to get back up there again. There was only literally one spot, one spot on that mountain that you could get to to kill the elk. One spot. And it was the top, top, top ridge on some rim rocks at 10,000, just over 10,000 feet. And that was it. So that night when we (laughs) got back to camp and I told myself that I wasn't going to do it, I laid there and just what I always do is talk to my dad. And he said, do it. So I did it. And it, it and it, it is, I remember sitting there thinking, well, if we're not doing it, what are we going to do? Yeah. Because right. that's yeah. the whole thing, right? Is It's not like we passed up on a bunch of bulls and we were yeah. having all this tremendous success. It was like, well, these are the, these are the ones that we found that we can get to that are huntable. So if you're not going to go do that, what are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? You're going to, you know, you want to just 
I remember the conversation was, do you want to start over? Yep. You want to go over to a different area? You want to splitty. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah. want to go kill old splitty? I think splitty was in play for about two hours on that night. <laughs> it was. Maybe if I had one more uh, cocktail, I might've yeah. went to splitty. But... Show me, show me that video of him again. <laughs> yeah. Let me see. Let me look at that right side. One more time. Inch dagger. Done. He'd look cool on the wall. Hey man, they taste good. All that stuff starts going through your mind. Can't eat the horns. On day three, you know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> There's only so much blood taste you can have in your mouth when you're hiking before you go like, ah, man, oh, that one down in that low country sounds pretty good. I'm telling you what, man. We'd be was, drinking beers and cutting them up. It was such a cool, I mean, I'll say it again next week, but it was such a cool and rewarding hunt. Obviously, the, the kill was awesome, but to be able to do it, how, how it all came together, not we'll talk not, about how it all came together. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. How it all came together, it was very, very rewarding. Not taking the first, taking the first bull that you see off the side of the road, or you know, oh, a big one ran. Even if I killed a 400 inch running across the road on the first day that just happened to be there, and I shot him, it's like that wasn't really honey. Yeah, I killed a big bull, but that's not why I'm in it, right? I mean, some people are for that, and that's fine, but I'm not in it. I love the chase. I love the the hardness. The, I mean, just everything about hunting. Um, and how it all came together was... Would you pass on a 400-inch road bull? Not pass, but it wouldn't be as memorable. <laughs> it wouldn't be as memorable. It wouldn't be as cool, no. Yeah, I I wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to... What story... We would definitely only have a 30-minute, one-part uh, podcast. That's for darn sure. I remember Jim Ray. Jim Ray, the two years ago or whatever it was when he killed a sheep. Remember? Oh yeah. In the snow. Yeah. He he killed it in the snow, but he on the way up passed a, a a sheep that ran across, if you talk to him, ran across the road, literally where he hunted, you have to get permission from It's a minor minor air force like or I can't remember who it is, but you have to get permission to get the key and they have to let you in. And he said like 200 yards into the hunt first day opening morning 200 yards in the hunt this sheep ran across the road and stopped and he was like yeah, it's it's cool bull I, or a sheep I, I could kill that and he didn't kill it the guy an older guy who thank god came up behind him that day ended up killing that bull and it was way ram bigger ram sorry sheep ram uh way bigger than jimmy's jimmy's that he killed it was like the second biggest in that area the whole year that ended up being killed. But what happened to Jimmy, it was it was unbelievable what happened to him. And that hunt, he'll tell you, was worth way more than killing a bigger ram 200 yards into the hunt, right? It wouldn't have been a hunt. Oh, yeah. I mean. And so that's what happened to me. I, you, you talk about, you know, like when you, when you plan a hunt like that, you know, we plan to be on your hunt for a week. We plan to be on... You know, chances hunt for a week. You know, what happens if you kill one on the first day? Whether, you know, whatever, 400-inch bull walks across the road or you get lucky on your first stock, you know. Yeah. Do you go home? Is You know, that's it's a that's a real thing, man. And Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, who knows? There's no right or wrong answer. Do whatever you want. No, exactly. I, I just know where I, I was at. Of course, if, every, if you work hard and, I mean, the harder you work, the luckier you get, right? So if you're 
if you're in the areas where the bulls are and you make it like you're saying a good stock on the first day, it is what it is. But you probably didn't get lucky. You probably scouted your ass off and found maybe that bull before knowing he was going to be in there and, and did work prior to that. And if you did kill him on the opening day, then that's that. But our scout didn't turn up anything. <laughs> so, uh, how had, it, uh, even do, more, how it all, all, yeah, how it all, all came together. Knowledge. It was, it was insane. So I'm not, I, I, I'm going to stop you there. We're going to stop there on the next, we had a great dinner next morning. We woke up and I told myself, all right, we got to do it again. I will do it again, but only one more time. Only one more time. And I again, that's funny how you say that because I told I told Bubba on the way up there I wasn't coming down without a bull. I I'm told sure him I was not going to come down that second day without a bull because for sure my body was not going to be able to do it the third time if I had to. But anyway, you got to stop there. That's got to stop. Got to tune in next week if you want to hear the rest of this. And I'll tell you because I was miss. there. The after hunt story is just as good or better than the hunt story. Yes, the after story is amazing. The uh, article coming out in North American Elk, I don't know if it's going to cover all the details that you're going to get right here on where the pavement ends. Thank you again to the boys at uh, Gator Coolers. I'll tell you what Skip said. He emailed me back about the magazine. He says... Skip, he said, I asked him, when is this article going to be coming out? Because I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. And he says, heck yes, because you got great photos, it got great treatment. It's going to be at least 12 pages long. Going to press tomorrow. Whoa. So out in a few weeks, tell folks June, July timeframe. If I might say it is super bad ass, how else can I help? Is podcast going to be videoed? Can we send some images from to do the story? How are you going to promote? Thank you. I'm throwing my badass, super badass art director on here so we can work out particulars. So next week, we'll be talking more about this article. We'll do some videos. We'll get some promotion going on that to help out the magazine, help out the everything else in the uh, Mo TV as well. So skip. Thank you very much, buddy. Who is the editor in chief for everything with outdoor sportsman's group, wildfowl predator nation, North American elk, all those awesome publications. So go out and support them because, uh, it's awesome. We were able to do that in the predator nation magazine. If you haven't read that, go out and read it. It was a couple months ago. We'll, we'll actually throw out, um, when that, what issue was that? And we'll put it up on the Instagram and all that good stuff. And, uh, Go out and read it and then read this in June, July, but 12 pages. Make sure you do come in back next week because the hunt <laughs> was awesome, but oh boy, the after hunt. Oh boy, the after hunt. My legs are still burning. <laughs> See you next week. We're going to talk more elk. More elk. See you, See folks. You Thanks for joining us. 50 